Warning, the following podcast may contain spoilers. Listener discretion is advised. Hey, my name's Aaron Richards, and you are listening to Next Level Radio. It's on the next freaking level. Welcome to issue 32 of DC Primetime. Uh, we have a lot to cover this issue. This is the first time we are at full strength with all five shows. And boy, oh boy, man, we got a lot to talk about. But uh, as per what's been usual lately, we are tired. Yeah. Uh, Rob and I both had long, long weekends. But we committed to this. We're going to bring it to you. So we're going to get to this and... Uh, because as Rob and I were just talking about off, you know, before we started, uh, if this we're at the point now where if we stop or we take breaks, we're going to fall behind, which means you guys fall behind, and we don't want that. Yeah, so, I mean, like it's better for you guys to have this on a Monday morning than a Tuesday morning because uh, two shows happen on Mondays now. So. Yes. Not a luxury we have as much. No, not at all. Uh, but introductions, of course, from the showcast on the Next Level Podcast Network. I am Ben Beck. And from Caffeine Crew, I am Rob Martin. Uh, so let's, as I said, we have a lot to get to, uh, so we're not going to talk about our weekends or anything like that. We're going to get right into the meat of this, and we're going to start off, of course, with the bullet points where we give our uh, our rating of the shows, whether it be Sidekick, Hero, or Legend, and of course, we're going to start off first with the first show being Gotham, uh, Season 3, Episode 4. Uh, what would you give this one, Sidekick, Hero, or Legend? Uh, this gets a straight-up legend. Lots to like, lots to not like. So, I'm just going to say that for now. Uh, okay. Uh, yeah, I'm actually going to give this one a legend as well. It's um, as there, There's a lot of cool moments in this episode so, that I, I'm looking forward to talking about. Uh, this one's going to be a no-brainer. I know... I just know both of us, so I know where this one's going to be. Supergirl, Season 2, Episode 1, the season premiere. Uh, sidekick, Hero, or Legend... I uh, gotta be a legend. Yes, absolutely. Same with me as well. Uh, the Flash, season three, episode two. Sidekick hero or legend? Legend. Uh, ditto on that one. Arrow, season five, episode two. Sidekick uh, hero or legend? Hero. Hero. Okay. Uh, I'm going legend. So you're going across the board today, aren't I you? I am going across the board. All five shows, of course, the fifth being Legends of Tomorrow, Season 2, Episode 1, the season premiere. I'm going Legend. And I am as well. Okay, so we've got five Legends from me, and we've got four Legends, one hero from you. No. <laughs> what? Three and two. Three and two. You Gotham. Said, you said hero. Legend for Gotham. Oh, I meant hero. Sorry, tired. Okay. I was going to say, you said Legend because that confused me because you told me before we started you had two heroes and three legends. And when you said Legend for Gotham, I was like, oh, all right. No, no, sorry. My brain's just not running. So 
like I said, once we get into this, I'll be I'll be back to normal. I just need to get my brain kind of rebooted at the moment. So yeah, yeah no, sorry. Hero for Gotham, Hero for Arrow, and then Legend across the other. Three. I still gave it a Legend, but for one particular storyline more than anything else. But we'll get into that uh, actually now because we're going to go into the Secret Origins where we discuss all of the shows and break them down. Uh, starting off, of course, with first with Gotham season three, episode four titled mad city, new day rising. Uh, the synopsis is penguin gains leverage over Gotham city. Meanwhile, Jim returns Alice to GCPD for the bounty and Bruce and Alfred look for Bruce's doppelganger. Um, all right. So let's start with some of the things that we liked about this, obviously, because if you gave it a hero, there are some things that you kind of were, you felt were a little weak. Uh, obviously, we, we start the show off with Alice in custody at GCPD um, and Jim questioning her in, in, the, um, in the interrogation room. Um, we also find out in this moment, too, we were talking a little bit about this last week. We were a little confused as to Alice's ability and what causes it and we find out for sure that it is her blood right so and um there was a correlation we made last week that i gotta bring up which is one of the biggest things i docked points for and uh we'll we'll wait until that until the end of the episode okay um we see a lot of tension that's building up on between butch and nigma uh on the side of the penguin uh as well as uh we get an introduction to some characters that i I should have expected we were going to see, but I, it, I for some reason they weren't in my in my head. Um, yeah, I didn't expect them here originally. I kind of thought this was going to be kind of a, a one off one off set of characters that we see in an episode or two, and uh, didn't expect them to be folded into Jervis Tetch's story. Yeah, but it makes sense. It, it totally makes sense. It completely makes sense, and that's exactly how I was too. I was like, oh yeah, I guess they would fit in this story. Um. We also find out whether or not uh, Oswald Cobblepot wins the mayoral race. So let's get into it a little bit. What were some of the highs and lows of this episode? Okay, right off the bat, high was the bromance that continues between Oswald and <laughs> Nigma because best bromance ever. And I loved the line of the you know Ed's riddle earlier on in the episode that we see come to fruition before the end of the episode wraps, which is what's meaningless to one person, but is uh, I forget. I think it was. But it means so much to two. And it was just that love. <laughs> yeah. And and you know what? That is the main reason I gave this episode a legend is because the storyline between these two, because it got to the point for a little while where it almost seemed like it was it was going to be a quick flash in the pan and it was going to be over already. And then you get to, you know, the conclusion of the story as to why Nigma was doing what he was doing. Uh, and it turns out he was doing it for Oswald, not against Oswald. And it just completely turned it around and i'm like yeah i love this like i just love where this is going oh yeah i mean i love the two of them i mean i thought i mean if i was rating the episode purely because of their interaction and their storyline it would have been a legend but unfortunately you have a lot of other plots that are running in tandem with this one that were definitely not that caliber in my mind all right well let's talk about some of them what it, what were some of the plots that you felt kind of lowered your your rating of this episode like right off the bat i mean the Bruce clone storyline still continues to not impress me or interest me in the least. Um, none of it felt fun or entertaining to watch at all. Um, and as much as I love seeing Selena, I think she's phenomenal on the show and her interaction with Dave Mizzou every time that they share screen time together is wonderful. 
I really didn't feel the same way when he was playing the clone character. It felt like two characters that have amazing on-screen chemistry to having zero chemistry on screen. And it's weird because it's the same actors. Yeah, um, but I guess, I mean, I can and, kind and of I know see that's, And I know why it's supposed to be that way, but it, it, I will say the clone character that they're playing up feels even, like I said, it, I think I mentioned it last episode. It felt weird in this show out of a show that has done so many odd things and it still continues to feel weird and uninteresting so and like we said guarantee this is going to be a creation of hugo strange and the court of owls which we get 100 percent confirmation of at the end and i'm like you could have just said oh here's a clone of bruce wayne that was created by the court of owls the first time we saw him and just never show him again it would have felt like it would have had the exact same impact um nothing about it did anything for Bruce, for Alfred, for Selena. It didn't elevate their characters at all. It's like, oh, okay, there's this. Like, nothing was gained from that plot line at all since he's been there, so. Yeah, but I guess, I mean, it was a little bit of a way to kind of build the mystery of his character a little bit. I'm not saying, I'm, I'm not giving it any, you know, reason as to why they did it, but um, I don't know. For some reason, it just does. It didn't seem to bother me as much as it bothered you. Maybe because of the fact that I, I almost... Uh, kind of wrote it off a little bit i don't know yeah i can understand that so yeah i mean i i kind of just played it as i i kind of stopped paying attention to that storyline as i did the flashbacks from season one season four of arrow yeah well i I mean that's kind of what it felt like yeah that's i mean no show should have them (laughs) to begin with so when you are immediately writing off of part of a show or an episode it means the episode's not great (laughs) In my mind, um, I just can't. It's hard to look past moments like that. Yeah, I can um, understand it, and that's why. I mean, like I said, if that wasn't there, I think I would have been a lot more willing to give this a legend because I still think the Hatter storyline was really fun to watch, um, with the exception of uh, the way some of that wrapped up. So, well, I mean, let's let's switch gears into that then um, and talk a little bit about that. Obviously, some of the characters that we mentioned that. that you know, we didn't expect to see, but it completely makes sense. Uh, the terrible tweeds were brought in into this episode. I don't remember there being as many as there no, were. There's, there's always ever been. Well, I think I've only ever seen two in the past in comics. And, you know, we see four brothers here, all luchadors, which was a different kind of take for the characters. But sure. Hey, why not? Well, I it think works. we I think we saw five, actually, because it I may think, have been five. I yeah. think they meant I think Jim is interrogating one. They mentioned that two were killed and then the other two left with Hatter. Yeah, so, so I'm yeah, kind five. of assuming that the two that left with Hatter are the main two that we are more familiar with. They're the ones kind of that are going to be part of Hatter's, uh, you know, uh, gang at this point. So, I mean, I guess it's only... And they kind of nod at it, too, because the one brother that's in the ring when Hatter first approaches them, he doesn't say anything, so you're kind of under the impression that's Tweedledum Mm -hmm. because, you know, he doesn't speak, um, you know, and the other one would be Tweedledee. So it's, you know, it makes sense that those are probably most likely the two brothers that are still around and with Matt Hatter at this point. Yeah, I would assume so. So um, we do actually see a wrap-up. We, you know, we did mention that it is Alice's blood that is what causes things which still confuses me a little bit um going back to the last episode because with everything with her landlord attacking her how did he become infected then unless she was bleeding from her lip i think she was and when i went back i did double check and went back to that episode real quick just to watch that sequence and it looked like she did have a cut across her lip 
when he does kiss her because she's coming right from the fire at the bar. Okay. When that happens. So that's why we see her kind of bandaged up a little bit. And she does indeed have a scratch on her face when he does go to kiss her. So that explains that situation. At least we finally got that clarified. We also got it clarified, too, as well, that it uh, impacts everybody differently. Uh, we hear her have this conversation with Jim in the interrogation room where she says it what she brings um, like, you know, brings up and mentions that her brother uh, Jervis basically says it, you know, brings out. I guess everybody's innermost demons is the way he kind of always viewed it, which is why hence it, it impacts every character drastically differently. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, but I mean, you know, obviously we, we do get a wrap up to the whole Alice storyline, uh, as she is killed at the end of this episode. Um, yeah, fall, falls off of a balcony and is impaled. Um, which leads to a very interesting twist by the end of the episode. Yes, and I have to bring this up now because we're just going to dive into this. I have a prediction, too. I know. Hold on. Give me one second on this because it. this is one of the things that docked me so many points in this episode. It was really? the clone storyline and the the moment we see at the very end of the episode with Barnes. Okay. All right. Which is Barnes coming in. They're looking back at the crime scene, and he looks up, and a drop of Alice's blood from where she was impaled falls into his eye. And immediately my brain was like, what, did the writers just watch 28 Days Later and said, I'm just going to carbon copy every scene that I can think of almost to the T. And I'm like, come on, guys, this is lazy writing. This was really, really lazy. I mean, I love the fact that they're doing something with Barnes, but, you know, we mentioned last week, this is kind of like the rage virus, the way that they're handling it. It's through blood. And then you really, honestly, they carbon copied uh, Domino Gleason's scene from... Uh, from the end of 28 Days Later, where yeah. the, you know, he looks up and there is blood from a crow uh, that drips down right directly into his eye. Even the same eye, for fuck's sake. And the reaction was the same. <laughs> it's like, step away from me. And I'm like, come on, guys. You can seriously try harder. I do have a prediction about this, though. Okay. Um, I And I could be completely wrong about this, but this... You know, we were always saying that Barnes was going to be written off at some point. You know, he's in really bad shape and this, you know, he's most likely going to be killed off or that he's going to leave or something like other. I think they're taking this. Obviously they're very much taking this in a different direction, but I can see Barnes becoming Grundy from this. I can too. And I'm kind of wondering if that's where they're going to go. And if that's how they do it, you know, I'll, I'll definitely give them some credit back, but if they use him as a throwaway kind of monster character that they keep referring to, and that's it. It was a really wasted opportunity, and it was done so in such a ham-fisted way. Yeah, so. I, I agree with you on that. However, if my prediction is correct, and they are using this as turning Barnes into Solomon Grundy for the show, I, I'm all aboard. I'm I'm fine with it. Yeah, if they do that, you know what? I'll look back at this moment, and I'm like, okay, I don't like how you did it, but you're doing something cool with a character that I actually find interesting. I mean, so. it, it, it's going to involve Michael Chiklis getting into a lot of makeup again, like the Fantastic Four movies. Yeah, but, but you know what? Hey... Honestly, I, I would not have a problem if they went that direction. No, me neither. Uh, last, uh, of course, we want to talk about for this is we uh, we find out who won the mayoral race of Gotham City. Uh, that being Oswald Cobblepot. Oswald Cobblepot is the new mayor of Gotham City. And obviously we see a couple things developing out of this storyline. It looks like Butch is actually kind of planning a, a an underwritten run on Gotham. 
You know, he kind of feels with Oswald as the mayor if Oswald wins. You know, he's going to grease a lot of palms to get him the the election. And when he wins, Butch can now run the city because Oswald's going to have his hands full in the public eye. Goth can now, or Butch can now run Gotham's underworld again. Right. Um, but, you know, it turns out that, you know, this creates some tension between Butch and Nygma because Nygma doesn't agree with the grease in the palms things. He thinks that... Um, Oswald can do it on his own. Turns out he goes around to everybody's all the pumps that Butch greased, takes all the money back, and Oswald still wins the election. Yeah, which I thought was a really cool moment. I I loved the moment when Robin Lord Taylor is like realizing these people actually love me. So I thought that was a really really cool moment about that. Oh yeah, I mean I I think like I said all that material was so strong. And at the end of it, you're like, oh, poor Butch. And then moments later, we're like, oh, poor Barnes. <laughs> um, and then a little bit of seething anger coming from me as I'm watching it. I'm like, come on, guys. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You know, it's but funny. Yeah. It's funny. Like, I, in all honesty, if they ever did a spinoff with just Oswald Enigma, I would watch it in a heartbeat. I would. I actually would drop Gotham and just solely watch that because <laughs> yep. they are two of my favorite parts. Yes. Exactly. If they just bring Barbara Keen over, done. It's, it's a done and, deal. And speaking of, we yet again get another awesome Barbara Keen moment. Maybe yeah. not as awesome as the past couple weeks, but, you know, I love the fact that we're still getting those little moments with her in this show. Yeah, they're definitely getting her in there and they're making sure that she's, you know, involved in the plots, even if it's just a quick moment. But I can't wait to see what they do with her. I'm really excited what they're building up to with her. Because, I mean, we don't see a lot of behind the scenes with them. They're just very much nightclub owners. Um, But I I really want them to do something with her soon. Yeah, agreed. Uh, Anything else on this episode that maybe we're forgetting before we move on to the next show? Well, who do you think now at this point is going to run uh, GCPD? Do you think we're going to be seeing Gordon slip back into the detective role very soon? Or do you think we're seeing uh, Chief Bullock coming back into play? Um, I can't see them bringing Jim right directly back in. I think that's going to have to be a lateral move by somebody who knows him. So I, I think I would lean more towards Chief Bullock. And then it's Bullock that brings Gordon back in. Okay. Yeah, that's, I think that's what coming, I would think. I, I think it's coming sooner than later. I don't think it's going to be a wait until midseason. I think it's going to be before that. I think it's after Barnes goes crazy, goes uh, crazy that we'll, we'll see him slip back into that role pretty quickly. Yeah, yeah, I can see that too. So, uh, all right, moving on then, of course, to the next episode that we have to discuss. I'm so looking forward to talking about this one. Uh, Supergirl season two, episode one, titled The Adventures of Supergirl. Uh, Supergirl and Clark team up to stop a new threat emerging in National City. Alex feels left out while Kara's family stays in town, and a pod comes crashing down to Earth. Uh, both legend from Rob and I on this one. Um, I want to start off, of course, with the opening intro. It was a great way to kind of recap all of Season 1. And I really, really loved the fact that they ended her voiceover with, uh, I am finally home. Yeah, which was a great nod to the the show moving to CW because it's where the show belonged in the first place. Mm-hmm. So I I loved the fact that they they threw that nod in there, and obviously the show starts off to right where we left off uh, at the end of season one with the pod coming crashing down, and we get to see a little bit more this time. We get to see a lot of 
you know, because when the show ended, you see the pod come down, and then you see Martian Manhunter and Kara at the pod. But we get to see a little bit more in between of how they chased it and saved a couple people on the way down. And we get right off the bat the reveal of Monel in the pod. Right, and that was the last moment of that. <laughs> yeah, well, um, we see a, a, a couple other moments. Uh, we see a, another quick moment or two, but he he is a you know is appearing to be in a coma at this point. So I would assume we won't see much of that until maybe the end of episode two. Um, so that's kind of just a really quick blip on this episode because, in all honesty, they got right to where they needed to get to really quickly after that moment in reveal. So yes, and I want to say. Uh, we got following that scene, uh, you know, starting into the show, we get to see a new DEO location. Um, but there were two really great nods. One of them, I'm sure you caught because it was very hard to miss. Um, that came from Cat Grant. Uh, but there was one that actually came before it that I don't know how many people were going to pick up on. Um, Kara actually makes a reference to a 1976 david bowie movie um when she says how is the man who fell to earth that is actually a david bowie movie about an alien that crashes to earth Mm -hmm. so uh for anybody who missed that there was a great bowie reference but of course the other reference um i'm getting to is miss tessmacher oh god i was (laughs) just grinning i loved that moment the moment she screamed that i was so happy i had a huge smile on my face when i heard that because it's so back to the the original superman with christopher reeves and oh my god not the last reference to the, the reeves superman in this episode as well that was one of two major ones which was phenomenal um i'm trying to think if i remember uh, it, it's it's Superman's first entrance into the DEO, and Wind is like, it's like you know uh, he's like, you know, oh, they yeah. bring up Lex and the earthquake in California, and I'm like, oh come on guys, this <laughs> is wonderful. That's Keep right, doing this, I love um, it. Uh, you know, but we're we're finding out too that Win is now no longer working at Catco, but he is working with the DEO, which is pretty awesome. Um, and we get. I, I know. I think this was something you had mentioned before too, um, in a text message. Real quick, was I don't. I don't know if you were happy with it or uh, what were your thoughts on the whole relationship dynamic between Kara and Jimmy? Uh, very sloppily handled. Uh, incredibly sloppily handled. Um, that was the only thing I really did not care for out of this entire, you know, episode. Um, as I was watching that, and I was just kind of like, okay, you know, maybe it's just. They're going to get back to it before the end of the episode's out. It's like Kara still feels shaky about her new opportunities in life and doesn't know what to do. And Kat's going to say something to her before the end of it and be like, you've got the person you want. Get off or get up off your ass and go fix this. But she never did. And I'm like, you spent all of last season trying to get this guy. You get the moment at the very end of the episode. And then within moments of the new season starting, just washed that away. And yeah. it doesn't make any sense to have that much of a buildup. And I read up a little bit more and more about this and where it sounds like something that was CBS really wanted those characters together. And I, I don't know if it was the showrunners kind of being like, you know, we felt like this was shoehorned on us and we want to break away from it. But you can't do it that fast. Uh, people that invest themselves in characters in the relationships um, get really pissed off when you do this. I mean, to people that watch sitcoms and look at How I Met Your Mother. 
people now despise that show because of a move it does at the very ass end of the series. Yeah. And everybody's kind of like, I'm done with it. You know, it used to be something amazing and then they just washed it away. But it's those moments that leave bad tastes in people's mouths. For the people that aren't watching it for, you know, Supergirl purely, but that character's relationships with the people around her, that's not a good way to handle situations like that. It's kind of like, no, we're done. Sorry. Uh, you know, forget that massive plot plot thread that was happening all of last season. And they just kind of pushed it under a rug. And I'm like, eh, come on, guys. You know, please, uh, you know, have a little bit more respect for your audience. You know, it was one of those things that really kind of bummed me out that they just treated that way. Um, and it, it didn't bother me as much at first. And after talking to a couple people that felt very slighted by that, I'm like, yeah, I guess that really is a massive problem. Then I watched it again. I'm like, yeah, that is kind of kind of kind of shitty on how they handled that. But but beyond that, though, I mean, the episode was just teeming with amazing moments. Well, I mean, let's get into one of the most obvious ones, obvious, you know, is that we get, I almost said obviously, obvious moments, obviously, talking about redundancy. Um, we see Superman for the first time in the show. And from the very beginning, his stage, you know, his presence on screen, he fits the profile to a T. I, you know, I was a little hesitant when I first heard of, of Tyler's being cast as the role. Uh, but, you know, the more pictures that were released, the more confident I got into it. And from the moment I saw him as Clark, I was sold. And this episode, I've heard a number of people agree with me on this and state this on their own. This episode, Supergirl has managed to do in 42 minutes what the DC films have not yet done. And that is have us enjoy Superman again. It's the first time since Christopher Reeves that I loved Superman that much on screen. Well, I was okay with Brandon Routh. I mean, I, I mean, enjoyed... I like, yeah, I like Routh as well. But I mean, what we saw here, even so truncated, I haven't felt that way since since Reeves. Yeah, like when you saw Routh, like you're like, oh, he's playing Christopher Reeves Superman. He's doing a pretty decent job of it. And but I mean, everything we saw of him as Clark and Superman together, though. Everything was so spot on perfect. And and not only that, like not only his portrayal of Superman, but the chemistry between him and Kara is amazing. Like it's almost as good as the chemistry. And I'm I'm putting a lot of this on her because she was the same way with the Flash when the Flash came over. The chemistry between them, those two were great. It's just as good, if not even better now with Tyler on screen because there were so many moments of lightheartedness between the two of them that just made me laugh. Um, oh, yeah. And and honestly, I think one of my favorite moments right off the bat was as soon as he goes into Catco and he knocks papers out of somebody's hands. And she's like, wow, you got <laughs> yeah. that that whole like bumbling reporter down. So well. he's like, actually, that was not an accident. Or that, wasn't, <laughs> yeah. that was actually an accident. That wasn't on purpose. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, but it was it was wonderful. It, it's showing that they actually bring out what makes Superman a, a great character is the fact that he feels relatable for somebody that's an alien. You know, it's. It's the normal humanistic side that he's actually become. It's not the invulnerable hero. Um, it's his personality is what's so lovable and likable about him. Yeah. And there's a couple moments, you know, obviously I talk about the lightheartedness and the chemistry. Um, you know, you mentioned the, the elevator scene, which was great. I, one of the moments that made me laugh was when Kara tells the, the people that were there when they saved the venture, I used to change his diapers. Mm -hmm. uh, and he's like, we don't really need to tell them that. Yeah, I think we do. Um, <laughs> and the other, another moment that I absolutely loved when they're, you know, as Kara and Clark walking through the city and they're, they're talking about Jimmy and she asks him, how did you know? He's like, oh, it's, it's, uh, it's super telepathy. 
you know, it's, and she's like, really? He's like, no, we're guys. We talk. Yeah. We're friends. You yeah. Know? <laughs> we're, we're friends. We talk. Um, just the lighthearted. Oh, and the other moment too is when, um, Kara's sister leans over and says, your cousin smells terrific. Mm-hmm. You know, just like the crushing and everything on Superman. It's just, it's so good. And it brought back it, what I lost about my love for Superman from the DC films, you know, from Henry Cavill and, you know, Man of Steel. All that love that I had for that character that I lost due to those movies all came back in one episode of Supergirl. Yeah. And I'm going to pause you really quick right there because there's two things. You mentioned the scene where uh, Clark and Kara are having that conversation about Jimmy. Uh, again, this is just a splitting hairs moment for me, but did I don't know if anybody out there listening thought it potentially weird that they're talking about their secret identity I did. in the bit, <laughs> middle of a busy crosswalk <laughs> and broad daylight. I and did. they're actively saying as Superman and as Supergirl, and I'm like, guys, isn't your secret identity a big part? Maybe you might, might may want to find a, a small, quiet, you know, closet to have this conversation maybe your apartment you know yeah i I was like this is kind of an odd place to do this but again that was a very splitting hairs moment but i was just kind of like kind of weird uh but secondly though um to bring up your point as far as your love of superman and the dc films this is proof positive what jeff johns can do when he's there when a character is brought to screen Mm -hmm. and it makes me that much more excited to see how they course correct the justice league with Jeff being there from the start of that film. You know, and, uh, I didn't really think about that, but you make a good point. I mean, because this is the first time that Jeff Johns is going to be kind of head, you know, heading everything going into this film. So hopefully, yeah, I mean, especially with it's almost like a reset button with Superman at this point, too, because he has died. And when he comes back, you know, they can completely change the character to be more yeah, like the ability. Yeah, they absolutely. Have the ability now. And I think this is a good this is a good positive test bed to show that this character can be handled with care and with grace and with love to the source material. And knowing that Jeff is there to help guide these people on the TV side, like that's part of, that's part of his job. But the man, the fact that he's now one of the men that help control and shape what happens with the DC films going forward. And we know justice league is the first film that he's been on from the start, from the moment pre-production begun that he's been there uh, and guiding the scripts and everything that it makes me feel so much more confident and more, you know, no, I wouldn't say, uh, you know, overly hopeful, but, uh, you know, at the same time, yeah, I'm hopeful. I'm definitely going to say, I feel like they can finally fix a lot of, lot of wrongs now at this point, because they have a great way to say, take a look at what we've done here. And we did it with this character only getting about 15 to 20 minutes of screen time and people loved them. Yeah, but on the opposite side of that, too, I mean, it's also a good note to show that, you know, when they cast uh, Ezra Miller as Flash and they cast, you know, all these other people to play these rat characters in the film series, and a lot of people were complaining, why aren't you using the people in the television shows, you know, that are already playing these parts? This is proof positive, you know, like, look, the television series have good things. You could have very easily used these characters and given them motion pictures. So, yeah. I, and- I, Oh, go ahead. No, I was going to say that's how I look at it, as in, like, this, to me, you know, Superman being on Supergirl and, you know, all these other characters on these shows, this is a swift kick to the to the film series. You know, oh, like, yeah, look, and, we're doing it better. Yeah, and I think that's one of the things that everything we've heard from set reports is 
Flash has been the most lovable and enjoyable character we've seen. And just the small interactions we've seen, you can definitely see that they've looked at the character from the TV universe to make sure that they're bringing what people love about that character over in that way. So I think knowing that they have a good outline by looking at the shows, I think it, it will help them drastically as the film universe tries to evolve. Yeah. Um, All right. So let's stop geeking out about Superman for a couple minutes and actually talk about some other stuff that happened in this episode before we spend too much time on it. Um, Obviously, we're going back to Mon-El real quick. We have Mon-El who is in a coma, so we don't know anything about we don't even know his name is Monel yet at this point we know as as viewers but the show itself does not know uh, and I think it's probably going to be a couple episodes before we're going to see um, anything more on him uh, I could be completely wrong could be next week um, but obviously we got an introduction to John Corbin as well as a, another DC reference uh, we as we heard again I don't think I think we heard it once in Arrow uh, so this is only the second time we're hearing it, but we heard about the Coulter Maltese. And, yeah, the Coulter Maltese brought back up from the 89 Batman universe and, you know, the old classic Dark Knight uh, books, Coulter Maltese being brought up here, which was kind of cool to see that they keep bringing, bringing some of these things back to the forefront. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but we also get more mentions of the Luthers in the introduction of Lex's sister, Lena Luther. Mm-hmm. Um, who is obviously still alive after being eaten by a dinosaur in Jurassic World. <laughs> you know that's the same actress, right? Yes, it is. Yeah, okay. Katie McGrath. Um, yeah. And, uh, yeah, like I said, and uh, an amazing Morgana uh, over on the BBC uh, Merlin show, too. Okay. So. Yeah, I still need to watch that one. Uh, but we find out from, La- uh, from Lena Luthor and Clark that Lex is in jail, so we know where Lex is at this point. So that kind of gives them... You know, a little leniency that they don't have to bring Lex into the series anytime soon because he's serving multiple life sentences in prison. Um, but there is the possibility now, though, which is even cooler. Yes, exactly. So, uh, Michael Rosenbaum, answer your phone. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> um, my question is, though, we've seen everything from what we've seen about Lena in this. She's trying to – she's changing the company from Luther Corp to L Corp, and she's trying to make a name – of good out of the Luther name. It's still very early to tell. Is Lena on the up and up? Oh, God, no. She's a Luther. <laughs> that, that's <laughs> that's no my way. impression, too. There's no way in hell. Uh, I think what it is is this. It felt like they went back and looked at season one and looked at how they were handling. Oh, my God. I'm blanking on his name. Max. Uh, Max. Max Lord. Yeah. Um and it's kind of it was that idea. Is he on the up and up? And you're like, oh, it's very clear even from the first episode he appears in that he's not on the up and up. This is, I think, them kind of looking back at that and they're like, this is how you do this right. I think they're now given the opportunity to make the tweaks and adjustments to what worked and didn't work in season one. And I think they're handling this already the right way because I think everybody agrees out there and can probably feel like she's not going to be a character that's going to be you know, have have this heart of gold by the end of all this. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, but we get to see some more stuff with John Corbin. John Corbin, uh, we find out, is working for Lex. Even though Lex is locked up, he still has connections outside of prison. Uh, so John Corbin is somebody who was hired to take out his sister, uh, Lex's sister, Lena. Uh, obviously, that was from the... I say obviously so much. I got to stop. Um, but we see that from the Venture Shuttle, which was the first attempt to take out Lena, leading into the drone attack in the city, which was an awesome um, 
uh, awesome moments, you know, with Kara and Super Kara and Clark working together, uh, Supergirl and Superman working together, and and saving Lena and taking out the drones, leading yet again to the Superman that we love, you know, doing what he's doing. Um, but by the end of it, we, I'm trying to think. There's two other moments that I know I want to bring up. Uh, but I kind of don't want to jump over one to the other. Uh, by the end of the episode, we see that John Corbin has been shot and wounded to the point of death, which leads us to the end of the episode. A character we all knew who was coming, especially even if we didn't beforehand, we would have known just by John Corbin. Metallo has been born. Yes, at Cadmus Labs, which is not a big surprise. And I think that kind of leads a little bit more clearance to that. Um, that thought process that maybe Jeremiah Danvers will become Cyborg Superman because we are seeing Cadmus do intense experimentation and turning somebody into a cyborg here with Corbin. So I, I'm now believing more and more and more in my heart that that's going to happen on this show. How awesome would it be to see a moment later on in this season, if that is the case and Jeremiah Danvers does become Cyborg Superman, to see... Dean Kane as Cyborg Superman taking on Superman. So it's almost as if Superman is versing Superman. Yeah, I know. And I want to see it so bad. I do. <laughs> I really, really do. Um, but the moment that I jumped over, and this is where we'll, unless there's, this is where I'll wrap up my spiel on the show and then we'll figure out if there's anything that we're missing. It looks like they're kind of gearing up for um, Callista Flockhart's character to take her leave from the show yes yeah i mean it was very clear they showed that it looked like she needed a break from all things uh you know you could definitely see things weighing on her as Kara makes her decision that uh she's just kind of like yeah it's 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 my time to maybe step away from the limelight for a little while yeah um, and i think it looks like they're gonna handle it in a very great way though too i mean it, it seemed like i like that they planted the seeds but i have a feeling by the end of episode two She's either going to go on some long-form retreat or retire. One of the two. Yeah, which kind of is a shame because I... you know, Cat Grant was a character I really grew to love, and I know you did too by the end of season one. Uh, and we started right at that again this season. Like, I loved her character in the season premiere. So it's going to be really a shame that, you know, we got this great taste of Cat Grant again, and now she's going to be going away for a while. So it's kind of a shame to me, but I yeah, guess... I, you know, I guess the right, yeah, the right term is probably sabbatical. Yeah, is what she's yeah. going to be doing. So yeah. it's going to be a, the sabbatical from Catco and a sabbatical from the show. Um, but it all obviously leads to Carr's big decision as far as what job she wants and the fact that she's like, I want to be a reporter. Yeah, and I was just kind of like, okay, that's kind of cute. I mean, it was one of those sweet moments. You saw it coming a mile away. Um, and, but even when they said it. I was like, that's kind of perfect, and I'm happy that they're doing it. And it was another really cool moment, again, going back to Kat, you know, that and, and her character, in that, you know, she had Kara pegged as a reporter from the very beginning. Yeah. Um, you know, when she, she said before she even hired her, she wrote reporter on her resume, and she kept it and showed it to Kara. Like, that was, she knew that's what she was destined to become. Mm -hmm. So, it was a really cool moment. Uh, but anything from this episode we're missing, or worth mentioning before we move on? I think the last but not least is that Superman and Martian Manhunter did cross paths before, which I think was kind of cool to find out in this episode. And the reason that they do not work alongside of each other is because Hank's, you know, use and uh, use and keeping of kryptonite at the D.E.O., uh, which I thought was kind of a nice way to deal with it. it. It didn't make them seem like they hated each other, but it was 
I'm sorry, I can't be behind what you're doing because of the way you're doing it. But they seemed like they still had respect for each other. Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, hell, they're going to be in the Justice League together one day, so they have to. Mm-hmm. So, uh, but let's move on to the Flash season three, episode two, titled "Paradox." Uh, Barry discovers that the effects from Flashpoint are greater than he thought. In the meantime, he meets his no co- his new coworker, who has an immediate disdain for him. So, immediately we start off this episode with Barry talking to Felicity, and it's the complete rundown of pretty much everything he's discovering is still wrong with this new story, this new timeline. Uh, you know, he's confessing to Felicity that he went back, he saved his mom, he lived in this parallel timeline for a while, went back to try and correct things, and things are still just not right. Mm-hmm. So, um, some of the things that we find out are Joe and Iris are not speaking with each other, uh, and Cisco really resents Barry because Dante ha- was killed. Dante was killed by in a DUI. Yeah, er, and that... Not yeah, DUI. It was a DUI. Well, it was a it DUI, was, but he wasn't the one that was drunk. He was right. killed by a driver who right. was drunk. Um, so, and um, I'm trying to think. We Wally still is is pretty much the same uh, as is. Well, uh, I'll save that one because I was going to go into another one, but that's the last. That's the last the one. Show. Yep. So <laughs> we'll save that. Um, but holy crap, lots of lots of breakdown on this one. This was honestly, this episode felt seriously like this really was part two of the premiere. Yeah. Um, I'll let I you mean, go it, into this one because I, I kind of took the lead on the other two. So I'll let you kind of take the lead into this one. Well, one of the things I, I absolutely adored about them starting this off was Barry just rambling at Felicity. And it was just kind of like, hey, let's get you all up to speed officially. And it was done in a perfect way. I, I don't think they could have handled that better. Um but we got our confirmation right off the bat. What we expected was going to happen happened. And it was the thing that we were really hoping was going to happen, which is the people of the Flashpoint universe that were villains or had powers are being woken up in this universe. So this is a great way to handle its villain of the week you know, run for this season. Yeah, This is going to be done so wonderfully and perfectly. I love the idea that it's people honestly shedding basically their skin uh, and being kind of like, underneath that layer that is on this earth is them their a version of them underneath that from another timeline um so we keep getting this mystery of these skin suits basically left all over the place as, the husks yeah the husks that uh barry's co-worker julian is looking into which is played amazingly wonderfully by tom felton yes absolutely um, and everybody obviously knows him very well from the harry potter series who's playing draco malfoy and here he plays this character that Honestly, it's kind of like Rick Costnitz's character that we saw in season one with uh, Eddie. Um, but it's Eddie if he didn't trust you outright. Like, you know, Eddie kind of seemed like there was he thought something was off, but was really easily swayed into, oh, it's because of this. And he's like, totally, I, I absolutely believe that. Julian is very much the opposite of that. I love the fact that it's they said that they were working together for a year. Um, and it's been constant. So... The fact that Barry's memories haven't caught up to this yet, I think, is interesting. But as we saw that he just came to this timeline, it took him many, many months to, uh, you know, from being in Flashpoint to start losing his memories and having the new ones override them. So I have a feeling that's something we'll see in the next couple episodes. But just having him not be able to function the way he used to and work alongside this absolutely weird, twisted parallel world was really interesting to watch because as heartbreaking as it was to watch the premiere with Flashpoint of everybody not being quite right and horrible things going wrong, 
this was the gut punch. Yeah, agreed. You, because this was that moment where Barry is like, I got to fix this. I absolutely got to fix this. And, and uh, oh, go ahead. I was going to say, too, and I, I, I want to praise to I, I know he doesn't listen, but um, who knows? Man, Carlos Valdez in this episode is brilliant. Um, it is a complete opposite side role from what he has been played. Like, cause he's always been the, the happy go lucky, you know, uh, wants to have fun, wants to be a superhero or wants to fight alongside a superhero person. And it's a complete change in this. Like he is depressed and he is down and he's resentful and he's oh, hateful. He's, he's a very broken character. He is. But I think it's portrayed brilliantly. And one of the things I got to stress that I love about this is it didn't undo everything. Like, I think a lot of people expected when they went back and it was a new timeline, everything that we knew of in this show, like erasing all of those moments from happening. But that's not the case. It seems like when this took place was after the attack of Zoom or during the attack of Zoom, um, it more than likely takes place before that moment where Rupture comes into play, which is the doppelganger of Dante's brother. More than likely, that character did come across from Earth, too, because he was still alive. But Dante was probably dead, so that probably drove that our, our Cisco down a darker hole because mm-hmm. we did find out Joe and Iris are not talking together because it was an opposite response to her reaction when she found out her mother was still alive. And there's the resentment coming from that moment. So we know that's right around that time frame. So if Dante died then because he said he never got to say those moments that he was important to him, which happened in that rupture episode that we saw last season, which was very close to the end of the season wrap. So around seven episode 17 or 18, give or take. But we seem like we went through all those moments um, completely. And when Barry is brought back, that kiss never happened between Iris. And I love the fact that they were smart enough for Barry to bring up so the two timelines that I actually were was able to finally kiss the girl of my dreams never happened. He's like, I'm erasing every positive moment from my life. And uh, the fact that they actually made sure by the end of episode put a lot of broken pieces back together, mm-hmm. but still left some things very shattered. And I think they did it in a beautiful way because watching this episode unfolded uh, was really this episode hurt to watch and not because the writing was bad, but because these are characters we, I've realized more than anything when I watched this episode that I have really come to care a lot about and seeing them that shattered was really difficult to get through. Yeah. Um, and the fact that they were able to patch a lot of the issues before everything wrapped up was great, but there's still some damage there and it's going to take time to get past. And you hope that it doesn't get drug out for too long but it's also adding some amazing acting chops and abilities and actually adding layers to characters. So it's it's doing some amazing things. Not everybody can be happy all the time. So for them being able to do something bigger for Cisco is really wonderful. And it's very smart because, you know, he was just the sidekick all the time, it felt like. He was the plucky person that was there, kind of like we saw in Felicity of Season 1, Season 2 Arrow. Um and instead of having him spiral fully out of control, they gave us that hint of old Cisco still before everything was wrapped up and said, everything will be better, but you have to give us some time to do it. Yeah. And I think they handled it beautifully. The heart of that show was not lost in this episode. And that was the most important thing they needed to do. 
and I came for, it came definitely from one of the best people the show has ever had the ability to have as a cast member, and that's John Wesley Ship. Uh, yep. Uh, and I love that moment. I mean, because obviously we see that. There's that obviously again. Um, I'll train myself out of it, I promise. It's we, okay. I say ah uh, and um all the time, too. Yeah. I'm, work, I'm slowly working on that one. I've been podcasting for well over three years, and I still do it. So it's <laughs> it's a great moment because we see Barry is, yet again, he's, he's going to attempt to go back in time. He wants to fix this. And Jay Garrick rips him from time as he sees him doing it. And pulls him into the 90s, 1998, the year I graduated high school, showing my age. Um, and, you know, we see Dawson's Creek playing and, you know, it's it's hi-fi jukebox and everything. But it's a really great moment, you know, between – it's almost, again, a father-son moment between John Wesley Shipp and Grant Gustin. Because while he's not his father, he knows now he is the doppelganger of his father. Um, and he even says that it, it's kind of sad at, at the same time. But he shows him – Again, brilliantly, the way you've put it before, how these showrunners use the whiteboard to tell you how everything is. That's another brilliant thing this show does, is that they, in such a lamest way, show you and explain to you everything that's going on. You know, there are times when Barry even pulls out a board and, you know, writes on the board, which he did in this episode. But the whole imagery with the coffee cup was perfect. And it showed how this timeline is still broken and you cannot fix everything again. And, and I love – oh, yeah. And it was just – I just loved that moment of – it's like what kind of hero are you going to be? Are you going to be the one that tries to always go back and fix all the things that you damage or are you going to learn from your mistakes? And it was such a perfect moment. Yes. Agreed. So uh, – and I really hope we get to see more of that. I hope I really hope we get to see Jay Garrick almost now as a mentor to Barry. Oh, very clear. I think it's very clear that you're going to see that because I love the idea that he's like, no, I'm basically keeping an eye on you. I'm going to watch over you. And I love the fact that he's going to have you're going to get the, you know, the golden age flash and the modern age flash really be meaning something to each other. And I think it's something fantastic. And I love that John Wesley Shipp did not play the character like he played Henry Allen. It, you very much saw the 1990s flash in him uh, very clearly. I mean, that's the one thing I did love from that old show, from the episode that we watched. But the rest of it, yes, being a little bit cheesy, but, you know, his portrayal of that character was very good. Yes. And I loved knowing that he built this version of Jay off of his old Barry of what happens if he got older and wiser. And it was very clear. And it was when he sat him down and said, hey, kid, listen. And it was... It was very, very wonderful to watch, and it just made me smile. But it made me really care about him that much more on the show and showing that even somebody that gets written off, like Henry Allen going away, Barry still has this amazing support structure, and one piece falls away, but a new piece comes into play. So. Yeah, exactly. Um, some of the other elements of the show, obviously, we get a full-on introduction to alchemy this time around. Uh, not just a word on a mirror. We actually see what alchemy looks like. And I have to say, the, the voice acting in this show, the people they get to do the voices, I'm loving it. You know, we had Tony Todd last season as Zoom. This season we have Tobin Bell, who, if you don't know who Tobin Bell is, he's Jigsaw from the Saw movies mm -hmm. doing the voice of alchemy. So the voice casting in this show is, is just as great as the actual casting. Um, but, you know, through alchemy we see... 
um, oh God, what's his name? Rivals, Edward Claris, uh, mm-hmm. woken up with his speed. He is the first one to come across uh, from the Flashpoint timeline into this one, hence the husk that uh, Julian and Barry are investigating on the shoreline. I'm I'm posing this to you. I'm pretty sure it's obvious, and I want to see if you agree with me on it. This is how Wally's going to become Kid Flash. Yes. Okay. This is very much how he's going to step into his powers. But yeah. also, one of the other things, we got a kind of first real hint at Savitar here. Um, and I don't know if you put this together, but anybody that knows the Savitar character a little bit kind of was a cult leader. Like, he had kind of like the cult of the Speed Force, basically, or somewhat, as he was finding ways to become faster and faster. And we very much see Dr. Alchemy kind of working with a cult group uh, when we do see him yes. in this episode. So I think that's our first ties of Savitar. And we kind of get a glimpse of him, which I kind of expect um, when we see the fate of Claris at the end of the episode, uh, when they do eventually actually stop him. And, you know, we see him in the cell and uh, somebody kind of dives in there really quick, grabs him by that clawed hand, and, which I think a lot of people probably expected was actually alchemy in this but my guess is that was actually savitar and you know it's so. funny it's funny too because you mentioned that and i did see that hand and i did wonder i didn't think it was alchemy but i did wonder who was that and i didn't even put two and two together and think of savitar more than likely that's who that was if you go back and look at some of uh, the savitar costume designs i could kind of see them using that as the way to kind of do some of the design work on the character. So uh, I want to make two quick notes on the rival as well. Um, I want to say when him and Barry are racing, I love the effect on his suit that the lines light up. Mm-hmm. You know, he's wearing a black suit, but all the lining in it lights up yellow as he is running. I thought that was a really cool effect. Yeah. Um, but the other thing I wanted to mention too, is it just me or does it seem like the actor playing uh, Edward Claris, AKA rival was a little too much channeling Christian Bale, Batman, when he was face-to-face with Flash. Actually, I didn't really pick that up too much. Um, I, I honestly didn't give it a second thought. I was just kind of more or less in awe of everything else that was happening in the episode that that just kind of went under the radar for me. So I'll go back and definitely watch it again. This I noticed it on my second viewing of Flash. Okay. I didn't notice it on my first time. So if you go through the second time, you might notice it a little bit. But like even like his facial expressions underneath the cowl of the rival, like it's almost like he's he's channeling a little Christian Bale Batman there. Uh, and the tone in his voice. Uh, one other thing I want to mention, too, we want to go back to when Barry was talking to Felicity. This, there's a key element in that. Oh, um, <laughs> um, I loved this moment. We obviously find out that the effects of everything from Barry changing the timeline do not just are not just restricted to the Flash. They extend out to the other shows as well in that we find out John Diggle no longer has a daughter. He now has a son named John, uh-huh. who, who we who have is, met before. Yes, we is. <laughs> who is actually Connor Hawk's real name in Star City 2049. Yes, but John 2046. Diggle, 2046, but yes. John Diggle Jr. Yes. So there is our first massive tie to Legends of Tomorrow and Arrow now. Yes. I thought that was a really cool moment when we find out that he has a son. And I'm like, wait a minute. We found out that Connor Hawk was Diggle's son. Here he is. This is now how Diggle has a son over a daughter. So, uh, pretty shitty way to write off Sarah, but it makes a lot more sense to the story now, too. Uh, obviously, because 2046 is in the future, it's, a few, it's you know, that timeline. So, it works out. 
But yeah, I mean, that was a question we were asking ourselves last season in Arrow. I'm like, are Lila and John going to have another kid? When is that going to happen? That's got to happen soon. Well, now we know. apparently they don't need to have another kid because boom. Yes. Now, that moment of finding out that everything extends into the other shows also goes into a theory one of our listeners have about Arrow, but we'll get into that. But it kind of touches base on that moment in Flash. So um, we'll go into that theory when we talk about Arrow. Um, But two other things I want to make mention of before we wrap things up with the Flash. We see a Flash vibe team up, which is Mm. awesome Yes, by the end. Because this is after Barry comes clean with everything. He tells the entire team, look, this is what I did. I saved my mom. I lived in this alternate timeline. I tried to go back. And created this alternate 1985. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, exactly. Uh, Ray's Sports Almanac. (laughs) Where Biff is a casino mongol and my father is dead. uh, Well, actually, that's true. His father is dead. Um, But yeah, it's now another timeline and Barry is to blame for everything that is going on right now. He is the reason why Dante is, is still dead. Um, he is the reason for Joe and Iris being the way they are right now. And, but again, it goes back to you mentioning the heart of the show is that they put their differences aside and they realize, you know what? We can't fix this. We, we have to just move forward. Uh, and that's when during the rival and the flash confrontation, we not only see vibe come in and save him, but we see a new element of vibe. Yes, he Uh, has built gauntlets. He has built the gauntlets, and I'm looking forward to some more team-ups between Vibe and Flash. It's going to be pretty awesome. But in that moment, though, too, we see Joe and Iris bury the hatchet. They're back to status quo before the end of the episode. And, uh, yeah, we get back to after the defeat of the rival, that quick moment between, you know, Barry and Cisco, where it was like, it was great to have somebody out there with me. And he's like, you know, you think there's more team ups in the future? And he's like, no, you know, not yet. But I, I but I love the fact he's like, but you know what? Someday. Yeah. And I, I do love the fact that that was the moment where we did see them starting to patch things up. Um, not quite, but we have some time, which leads us to the final big reveal, which I'll let you just no, you go for it. Uh, it's all you. So, you know, <laughs> as Cisco walks out of the room and it's just Caitlin and Barry left. And she just makes that quick comment to him. Was just give him time. You know, he's gone through a lot. And uh, and he's just like, well, at least it's nice to know that at least one person's remained unchanged, you know, and brings up the idea that she was uh, an optometrist <laughs> in the other timeline. <laughs> yeah. Is it optometrist or ophthalmologist? I can't remember. I, one think of the he, two. I think, yeah, it's one of the two. She was an eye doctor. <laughs> <laughs> we'll make it simple on ourselves. Um, so... As Barry walks out, we see her expression go rather dire. And she holds out her hand, and we see the beginnings of Killer Frost. She has been impacted by the particle accelerator one way, shape, or form. Or she's waking up as well, because maybe the Earth 2 timeline and alchemy are kind of connected. Um, maybe they find a way that it's not just timelines, but maybe it's alternate u- like universes as well are also impacted by what alchemy can do. So, yeah, we don't, we don't know yet how it's happening, but I'm loving the fact that it is. But yeah, that was a quick holy shit moment, not yeah. seeing that one coming. Yeah, yeah, I so, didn't see it coming either. So, But outside of that, anything that we're forgetting for The Flash? Because I think we covered most of everything. 
Uh, no, I think we got the major, major plot beats. I mean, there's a lot of little more undercurrents and certain things like, you know, Cisco going to grief counseling and all that as well. But, uh, I mean, for the grand scheme of things, you know, unfortunately, no more Captain Mendez. But, you know, it's uh, I'm really looking forward to seeing how everything plays out with uh, Barry and Julian. I think that's going to be a really interesting relationship to watch. Um, is he involved as being a bad guy? I mean, there's potentially some things there i want to look at a couple of things that i saw some maybe potential crossovers but i don't want to dive into them too much yet because we still have a lot to cover yeah so all right cool so let's move on then to the next show of the week arrow season five episode two uh titled the recruits oliver recruits curtis the wild dog and Evelyn sharp uh, evelyn sharp for his team but his training methods proved to be too much for some to handle in flashbacks oliver continues his initiation into the bratva um I don't know if they did this in the season premiere. Uh, if they did, I missed it. Uh, but I know I did catch it this time around. Again, it's another going back to Supergirl, the the voiceover introduction. He says, I am the Green Arrow now. I think they started that last season. Did they start it last season? Maybe I just wasn't paying attention to it. So, but okay. But I did notice that this time around. Um, but... Uh, a couple things I, I noticed in this episode. My notes on this one kind of jump around a little bit. Um, you know, obviously we're seeing Oliver bringing in the recruits now that he's going to create the new team of. And there's a little bit of contention between him and Felicity is that he wants everybody, including Felicity, to wear a mask. Because uh, he doesn't want anybody to know his identity. He doesn't want anybody to know Felicity's identity. And F- Felicity is kind of against this from the start. Yeah. So, um I'm trying to think of some other. What are some other moments? Because um, well, we we get from what we are expecting to be a very grounded season for a show, we get a very non grounded moment of this when they said, "Hey, we're going back to status quo of on the ground kind of folks." And who do we bring into this episode? <laughs> but Rory Reagan, Ragman, a very supernaturally character. <laughs> so that idea that show for this show and this season goes completely out the door. Here's my um, here's my question on that. I was surprised. Have we talked about Ragman being cast? Yes, we re- we really briefly did, but I didn't expect to see him this soon. Because I, cause I don't... We talked about so many different people being cast in all of these shows that I think this one kind of slipped my mind a little bit because I was honestly surprised to see him show up. Mm-hmm. So I, I'm, I, I don't know if it was because, again, I just it slipped my mind because maybe we mentioned it quickly and I just didn't let it sink in like some of the other ones. Um, but yeah, I was I was genuinely surprised to see Ragman show up in this episode. And right off the bat, it was also the best part of the episode, too. Um, I mean, they got that character down actually really wonderfully well. And the first time we saw, you know, his his costume moving and gripping people, it was it was I felt like that like classic moment from Animal House of when you see Flounder. It's like, oh, this is going to be great. <laughs> um And I was generally very, very excited in that moment. We got to see, you know, um, I know. uh Somebody that you have inter- interviewed in the past and brought up in the past, uh, you know, Bamford uh, did this episode as well. We got another amazing fight sequence with Ragman and, uh, and Green, uh, Green Arrow together. Well, it's funny. Um, there's actually two people we have interviewed in this episode mm-hmm. uh, in that we have also interviewed uh, the actor that plays Wild Dog. Yeah. And actually, well, you also have Blackthorn in there. So, oh, just, Blackthorn and, and Stephen Amell. Like there's four people in this episode we've <laughs> talked to. So you're just checking stuff off here. But exactly. Um. In the grand scheme of things, though, I think the Ragman stuff was great. I love that they tied him to uh, the nuclear bomb drop 
during Genesis at the end of last season. Yeah, the um, uh, Haven Rock. Haven Rock going up and uh, him being tied and being the sole survivor of Haven Rock. And I this think is... this is a really cool way to bring this up. But the fact that they brought it up and didn't do anything with Felicity having any remorse to that situation. We still have not seen her bring up or have issue with the fact that she was kind of responsible for that bomb going off. Well, I think we did see a little bit of a moment where she's starting to, she kind of gets a little holy shit moment where, Mm -hmm. you know, when she hears Haven Rock brought up. And obviously this is definitely something that's going to come into play in future episodes, especially now considering the fact that Ragman technically is the first new member of Team Arrow. Yeah, um, yeah, he, you, he you know very he, much is. Yeah, he makes the agreement to 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 team up with Green Arrow before the other recruits come back uh, and accept the invitation yet again. So, Ragman being an, a, a member of this team, there are going to be moments he's going to be face to face with Felicity, and this is something she's going to have to deal with. Yeah, so I, I do like the fact that that's at least they're starting that ball rolling. Um, and hopefully we do see that play out before the end of the season, because I'd like to see her actually develop a little bit along that line of maybe that being something that's really haunting her, because Oliver is very haunted so far this season because of the death of Laurel Lance. So it would make sense to have the other characters kind of put through the paces. I mean, that was one of the things I really generally expected at the start of the season, and we're now getting ready to head into episode three, and we've only seen this slightly kind of come into play with her at all. Yeah. Uh, it, it seems to me, too, that she's getting mentioned more now than she did when she was on the show. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, and that's kind of sad. So, yeah. Uh, but, I'm, mean, you know, I'm talking about the death of Laura Lance, we can use this kind of transition into another element of this show is that we're we're getting to see more and more of Quentin uh, and the issues now that he's going through and the transition that he's going to be making, uh, hopefully coming out of this funk that he is in you know he's definitely still drinking um but i'm seeing more of a you know now with laurel gone and we haven't seen malcolm merlin i'm seeing more of a father-daughter dynamic between thea and quentin now yeah and i I, you know what i really hate to say it but it really shows the last season or two they feel like they've done more with thea in two episodes than they did in the last two seasons with her at all i i have a note on my page right here that says out of all characters of this show, from start to finish, from premiere to now, Thea is the one that has come the farthest. Yeah. She is a f- full-blown, like, adult, independent woman compared to when she first started when she was a spoiled little brat on drugs. Yeah. She, her character has made the biggest transition out of anybody, Oliver included. Yeah. Um, You know, so, and I'm I'm really loving that. I'm I'm really starting to grow more and more to love Thea's character. Yeah, I mean, I think, honestly, they need to continue on the trajectory that they have been so far with her because so far, Quentin and her story have been the only things that you feel like a real emotional connection to, and that includes Oliver. They're still, obviously, getting him out of his funk. Again, this season is a reset button, as we brought up many times. And the, you can't do it quickly, and you have to handle it with care. And at least so far, two characters have had have some serious heart to them. Oliver still isn't there quite yet, but they're slowly building that. And I'm glad that they're taking their time to evolve him in the proper way, the right way. Building up trust with people, new characters. They're not thrusting all the new recruits into the field right away, making them like and forcing them down our throats. They're giving us time to like and respect them before they become full-fledged heroes, which is the smart move so far. Yeah, 
So, and we, uh, and you know, and obviously by the end of this whole thing with Quentin and Thea, uh, Thea is giving him a chance to kind of come out of this and make his life meaningful again. You know, because when he was a cop, he loved being a, an officer, and now he's not that anymore. So now she's giving him another opportunity, not by going to meetings to try and force him out of this. She's giving him not only an opportunity to come out of this, but to make his life meaningful again and makes him deputy mayor. Yeah. So which is a really cool moment as well. And like you said, it's it's something that it's the real emotion of this show right now so far has been from these two characters. Right. I mean, right now, I got to say, honestly, the main reason, because everything I've brought up so far has been very, very positive. And I did give this a hero. And the reason why is two sections. Um, While the flashbacks are very tied to what is happening, which I do appreciate them doing, they still don't feel interesting. Um, It was basically moments for them to have additional fights, really no forward momentum on that plot line, what they're doing. It was just, we're going to have them brawl and tie it to how the recruits are currently training and showing how Ollie's trying to do things differently, but lean back to his past. And while that does work to an extent, it's still uninteresting to watch because we're seeing the exact same thing happening in present day. And then in addition to that, we have John Diggle's storyline in this episode, which was a carbon copy of an episode we already saw with him that we saw in season three. I I want to mention that real quick, too. If I gave this episode, a, if there was anything that would have taken away the legend, it didn't because uh, I, I still gave this one a legend because of a lot of the fights and, and things like that and the introduction to Ragman. But the weakest part to this of this episode to me were those Diggle storylines. Like I didn't I didn't fully get them. I, don't, I, I I understand it's it's something that they're going into that's somehow going to bring John back to the fray and he's going to be a back on Team Arrow again, but I I didn't get them. I just I really didn't. It was very sloppily edited. I didn't understand why it was there. It felt like that, and that's the reason I gave this very much a hero. Was you know I didn't care about the flashbacks and I didn't care about an entire other arc that they spent a lot of time on that served no purpose to the show and what was currently happening at all. I mean, I'm sure they're going to find a way to wrap it in, but currently, it made me not care about more than half of this episode. The stuff that was happening present day was fantastic, and I really loved it, really enjoyed it. I really want to see where that stuff is going to go. But then again, you have the flashbacks, and then John's story, that is so unrelated to everything at this point. Yeah. I will say, as far as the flashbacks go in this one, I'm still okay with them. I'm not back to how I felt about them last season, and I didn't love them as, enjoy them as much as I did in the, in the premiere, but I'm still okay with them. I did love a lot of the stuff with the recruits and the whole on the line training sessions. Um, but what more I enjoyed with everything with the recruits is that out of everybody in this episode that really turned things around by the end, it was Curtis more than anybody else. Yeah. Curtis is the one that sets Oliver straight and tells him, you don't trust us, so we can't trust you. Yeah, and I, I really like the fact that he's be starting to become the new heart of Team Arrow because Felicity very much isn't at this point. Um, she seems very broken at this point as well. Um, very untrustworthy as far as the way her and Oliver's relationship as friends are. You know, she's going, you know, sneaking off to see her boyfriend, not even bringing up the fact that she knows these people at all, you know, not even bringing it up, I'm sure, to Ollie. All these little things that are happening. Um, and it, it seems like such an odd dynamic for the characters we know of in the show very clearly. And the new recruits are the only ones that right now feel very interesting, aside um, Thea and Quentin. Yeah, agreed. Um, 
there was one I will mention this real quick too. There was one moment of this episode that actually did make me laugh quite a bit. Uh it, it's in it's an interaction between Oliver or Green Arrow rather and Felicity where you know Green Arrow is telling Felicity these guys are still too green and she says the same thing could be say about could be said about you. And she said, I've been waiting five years to use that, <laughs> which I thought was a nice, lighthearted moment to this really grim conversation that they're having. And I'm like, what? And then I started laughing because I heard that as well. But there was one other really cool thing, one other really cool reference. And I want to see if you picked up on this. Okay. Um, James, ba- we did mention that James Banford was the director of this episode as well. Um, there is a really cool reference. I got it. You did get it. Okay. To the any Bam of, 2 Muay Thai uh, boxing Bam sign. Squared Muay Thai Training Center. Because uh-huh. James Banford's nickname is Bam Bam. Mm-hmm. That's what Stephen Amell calls him. That's what the cast members call him. Uh, so I thought that was a really cool little nod to honor James Banford by having that in the background. And for any of you who did not catch it and you want to go back and see it, it's during the scene where Oliver and Ragman are on the rooftop after the whole... Um, interaction with uh, with Church and and everybody. So yeah, and Church really wasn't worth mentioning this episode because there's really not a lot that happens with him. Uh, no, it's just uh, it until the getting end. some yeah some armaments um, from um, the basically arms dealers that well not the arms dealers the the weapon manufacturers that were responsible for the Genesis bombs. Yeah. Uh, so basically, him and his street team getting you know full on <laughs> i mean they have everything they could probably possibly want this season so we know that they're they're locked and ready to you know pretty much rock at this point i don't think there's any other way to put that we know that they're going to be definitely a street force but we also got clarification that tobias church is not prometheus yes and i i kind of leaned towards that last week anyway i kind of thought that he he wasn't prometheus just just by body build and he's Tobias Church is more of a fist street fighter than Prometheus, who's, who's, who's using archery, yes. Um, now, I'm going to go into Paul's theory, uh, but before we do that, because it, it is a theory about Prometheus. So uh, we do get to see Prometheus. We do find out that he is Prometheus. So before I go into Paul's theory, is there anything else about this episode that we are forgetting? Uh, I, I don't worth think mentioning? so. I think everything else is pretty pretty cut and dry. So go okay. launch launch into it, man. I'm okay, curious. so this is from listener Paul. Um, this is a I I feel this is a really credible theory. Uh, so I'm giving him all the credit in the world for this. He has a theory on who Prometheus is, and it's not anybody we've mentioned as of so far since the show has started. His theory is that Prometheus is Tommy Merlin, and here is why. And this actually ties into a lot more with Oliver and how he is now. With things that have changed from ba- from Barry's course correction or trying to course correct things. One thing that we have not really heard about is complaints from anybody other than Thea. We haven't heard anybody really complaining about Oliver killing again. Thea is really the only person who's ever brought it up. And that's because, and this goes into the theory... The reason Oliver stopped killing was because of Tommy. He made a vow after Tommy's death that he would never kill again. He's killing again because now, thanks to Barry, Tommy never died. Malcolm did. Ah. And this is, well, 
Paul never said Malcolm did. This is something that I'm throwing in. But well, I, I'm we also, kind of, also I'm kind know of, that he's already a villain in Legends of Tomorrow, though. Too. But he, but it could also be from time travel. It doesn't have to be because he's in this current timeline. So, and because we'll get into a little bit more of that when we talk about Legends. So, in this current iteration of Arrow, because of everything that Barry has done, Malcolm is dead. Tommy isn't. This is Tommy taking up the form of another archer, going after Green Arrow because Green Arrow killed his father. That would work. Um, I actually did think that there was a potential that it could have been Tommy. The only other person I kind of thought maybe is Felicity's new boy, but that's about it. Yeah. Um, but Tommy was kind of floating in the back of my head. Unfortunately, I haven't had a lot of time to be on our Facebook group this week. Um, things have been fairly hectic. But... We, we, You and I were both away all weekend, so neither one of us really had time. But Yeah, but uh, I could definitely see that. I think that's actually a call that makes the most sense right now. There's been a lot of rumblings that he was coming back this season as a result of Flashpoint. Mm-hmm. And that would make the most sense. It, it would. And so, Paul, well done on that theory. Um, I kind of tweaked it a little bit by adding that Malcolm had died. Uh, That might not be the case. Malcolm might still be alive, but um, well done on that. And obviously to any of the listeners out there, let us know what you think of that theory, because I think that's actually a pretty brilliant theory as to who Prometheus might be. Yeah. So, uh, all right. Final episode of the week. We have Legends of Tomorrow, the season premiere of season two, titled Out of Time. When a new threat emerges, Dr. Nate Haywood seeks out Oliver Queen to help find the scattered legends. Once reunited, they go to 1942 to keep Albert Einstein from being kidnapped before the Nazis destroy New York City with a nuclear bomb. Uh, I do not have any notes on this because okay. I, I did only get to watch it once, but it is the show that is kind of the freshest in my head, even though I watched it on Friday night. So it's been a couple of days, but hopefully I'll still be able to remember a lot of this. But we both gave it. we both oh, yeah, gave ahead. it Legends, so we both highly enjoyed it. Yeah, and I got to say, out of all of the opening opening moments of any of the premieres for this season, this had the absolute best. Hands uh, down. With, with Haywood running through the um, Star City and the mayor headquarters. Uh, not even just that, but when we actually do cut to the Legends, their opening sequence was amazing. <laughs> Everything about their moment of them and, you know, during the, the wedding of, uh, I, I forget which which Louis this is, during the Musketeer days, but... Everything about that moment was so much fun. And I thought um, it was a great nod, too, to the Three Musketeers. It was. And it was, <laughs> yeah. everything about it was just made me smile, made me happy that that show was back on the air and that they're going to be a part of this crossover because it made me realize how much I adore these characters. And it's one of those things, too, like we had mentioned this about season one in that, you know, it was a little rough goings at first. We enjoyed it from the beginning. But by the end of this show, by the end of season one, this show had kind of found its own world and it had kind of found its own footing uh, and I, and made an identity for itself. And what I really loved is that from the very beginning, with the exception of bringing Oliver in, and I understand why they did it, uh, everything that we saw of the legends themselves, we still got that. You know, it it wasn't like they had to find their footing again from the beginning of this season. They were off to the races right from the start, and everything that we loved about what the show had become by the end of season one continued right into season two. Right. I mean, the show knows exactly what it is, and it took every lesson from season one, and it showed it to that it showed it to the viewers in the first five to ten minutes of that episode. It it was 
reminding everybody, yes, we did take all of your criticisms, criticisms to heart, and we're going to get off the ground running at full speed, and it's going to be a lot of fun. And they did that. They really successfully did that. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so we find out that, uh, you know, this uh, Haywood is a historian, and he ties uh, the the Wave Rider and all of the legends to all these different points throughout history until he recently discovers that the Wave Rider or what he believes is the Wave Rider at the bottom of the ocean outside of New York City, 1942. So he goes to Oliver for help since he can tie Ray and Sarah to Oliver. Uh, and they go on a salvage mission and they find the Wave Rider at the bottom of the ocean. And who do they find in the Wave Rider? But Mick Rory, Mick Rory. In, in stasis. <laughs> I love out of everybody that could be there. And it obviously makes the most sense, too, because of their their abilities. But, you know, we have a ex-time hunter here. <laughs> yes. So, but yes, it was exactly. so wonderful that he's the one that has to recap it all. Yes. It was the character that went through, I think, the biggest massive transition of the show last season. Yeah, I agree with that. And I think it's great because I don't think we had never seen an interaction between Oliver and Mick. Have we? No, never. Okay, because I know we've seen, you know, some rogue stuff before, but I don't think we'd ever seen those two together. So it was really cool that we got to see yet another crossover of these two shows. And how, uh, it was just awesome to me that when they go down, the moment we, the next scene, uh, like, I immediately think to myself, holy shit, Oliver Queen is on the Wave Rider. Uh-huh. <laughs> like, I know. This is amazing. Like, we're already, we haven't even seen the Legends yet, and we're already off to an amazing start. I'm trying to remember this correctly. Now, when Oliver first sees him and he wakes up, does Ollie deck him? Um, I think he did. I don't know. Or either that or I think Mick decked Ollie. <laughs> because obviously they know of each other because of Barry. I mean, that's their link. But I want to say there was a quick, real fast slug, and I can't remember who punched who. Yeah, I can't remember either. I'd have to go back on my second viewing and see. Because uh, we know Mick does open does wake up to a startle, so it's it, it would make sense if that happened. Yeah. So, but uh, yeah, I mean, I gotta say too, just I, I we because we did lose a major character last season with Captain Cold. That I gotta say right off the bat too, Nate Haywood was a really fun character to be in the mix. He actually felt like he replaced something missing from the team, uh, because obviously we don't have Hawkgirl there as well, which. Oh no, boo hoo! But <laughs> no more, be- no more barista watch. I know, but seriously, like he did feel like he filled somewhat of a void, and it was it, it worked nicely. I, they did a good job of inter- uh, introducing us to a new character and saying this is what's happened over potentially the last you know eighty years. <laughs> and what I love about him too is the fact that he knows about time like Rip, but he doesn't have any abilities. Like he's not a superhero like these guys. Um, you know, he's like the intelligence. He is the medieval Gideon almost. Yeah. You know, whereas Gideon is technology, he does everything by studies. And it's I, I think oh, I'm hoping we're going to see a lot of cool interactions between him and Gideon as time goes on, especially now we got an introduction to a new room on the Wave Rider in the library. Because uh, I don't think we'd ever seen the library before. Now, this is the first appearance that we saw the the library on the Wave Rider. But like we do know one thing about if you know the character we did see an ancestor before the episode was out of his. 
So I'm not sure if you know exactly who that is, but I'll wait until that big reveal at the end. Um, okay, I had a feeling that's what it was tied into was uh, the characters at the end. Um, so we find out that uh, the Nazis, through the help of uh, Damien Dark, have gotten an A-bomb, as Albert Einstein multiple times throughout this episode corrects. Nuclear bomb, atomic. <laughs> atomic. <laughs> um you know, and has blown up or is attempting to blow up New York City. Well, we find out it actually does happen, and it sets off a time rupture or time quake, and this is what sets the legends on their on their path back to 1942 to uh, acquire Albert Einstein to prevent him from making the a bomb to get to Damien Dark. Um. And we also find out, too, I think this was from, I don't know if this was mentioned in the season finale or if this was just mentioned in passing in this. Rex Tyler actually tells them to stay away from 1942. Right. They didn't get that full information. They just kind of said specifically, you can't get on that ship. And that's where we ended. So we know our man was involved and they didn't we didn't go back to that moment yet where we see that. But. We do know our man's going to be tied to the JSA, so I would assume we're going to see something sooner or later in the second episode. Yes. Um, so we see, uh, obviously, before they, you know, we found out that they were in the the Musketeer times in... Um, I'm trying to think, what time period is that considered? Oh, cry, crap. Uh, <laughs> I don't remember. All I can't remember. But we... Uh, but when we find out that they have to – they pretty much are going to collide with the atomic bomb because the Wave Rider will absorb the explosion of the atomic bomb. But to save everybody, Rip had a plan put in motion that uh, would send them throughout time to yeah, kind of save I think lives. they refer to it as the time scatter. Okay, that's what it was. And we find out through that uh, that Ray is being chased by a dinosaur. Uh, Martin and Jax are, I guess, in medieval times? Yeah, medieval times is either a mixture of, you know, court magicians slash jesters. Yes. Uh, and Sarah is about to be hung as a witch for having sex with a local. <laughs> Which, the Sarah moments in this episode were so good. She's, they were wonderful. She's fooling around with the queen uh in you know in the musketeer times and then now she's about to be hung as a witch for having sex with another woman which is just i i love the sarah moments in this episode yes um so leading into it we find out that mick is the one that steers the ship and goes back to all these different time periods to rescue all of the, the the rest of the team. So the team is back together by the end, with the exception of one person, that being Rip Hunter, who not even Gideon knows where he is. Right. Any theories on this? I have no clue. Nope, me neither. <laughs> I am completely clueless with this, and I'm not going to lie, I kind of like that. Yeah, I actually really do too. I, I really don't know. My, my guess is maybe he has some kind of involvement with the vanishing point at some uh, some it, I don't know it's some place in time in history well not place in time in history because it's the vanishing point so it has no ties to the time in history at this point um but yeah I, I'm really curious on where they're going to go with this I have no idea um but again one of the things that we have to bring up though too because we brought up Damien Dark is Sarah is dead set on revenge on Damien Dark and is doing her own research with Gideon in the library 
on his whereabouts at any point in time in history, which we do find out, and she finds out, that he is helping out the Nazis in 1942 in New York. So we do get the first, you know, little kick as far as our uh, our major big bads of the season. So this was, I think, really nicely handled where we got to see this little revenge story begin to play out, which uh, definitely gets spun on its head a little bit at the last moments that we see of Damien Dark. Yeah, and we're getting, uh, you know, through Damien Dark, we obviously know that we're getting the Legion of Doom uh, with Legends of Tomorrow, Damien Dark being one of them. So we have gotten our first taste and our first member of the Legion of Doom through this episode. Um and we know that Damien Dark from this has been throughout time, not I don't not as much as Vandal Savage has, but he is very old thanks to the the Lazarus Pit, and because he is familiar with the League of Assassins, as we find out in this episode as well. Well, not even just this episode, but we did find that out last season on Arrow that he was a lieutenant and was removed from the Legion of or not the Legion of Doom, but the uh, actual League of Assassins. Yeah. So. Um, Two key moments at the end of this episode we're going to get to, but we're going to save them till the end. So are there really any – what else should we bring up as far as this episode goes uh, before we get to those two big moments at the end? Well, I mean, honestly, it was just a lot of fun, quick, action-y moments this season. Uh, well, not this season, but this episode. Uh, I don't think there was any major character moments that we saw outside of the stuff with Sarah. Um, we did see that Ray is definitely on to what she's doing and is keeping tabs on her somewhat. So we, we are seeing that classic Ray, the the very lovable Ray, um, with all, all the best intentions to make sure everybody's okay. Yeah. Um, and we kind of like that whole idea that he has dealt with Lost is trying to help Sarah through those moments as well. Uh, and uh, I, th- I think another cool moment that we got was seeing the excitement of Professor Stein when he finds out he's going to meet Albert Einstein. Indeed. So, yeah, we and, you know, as far as, you know, Martin Stein and Jax, we didn't see a lot of major huge developments since the last time we did see them at the end of last season. Jax has continued to work as the mechanic and understand the ship more and more, thanks to Rip. Uh, we saw him being able to fully understand and repair the time drive, which, uh, as Rip mentioned, was very important in case anything ever did happen to him, which we do see actually come to fruition. That's, yes, exactly. Uh, I am kind of surprised we didn't see anything of Mick dealing with the loss of Leonard Snart, though. I'm actually kind of surprised that that didn't come into play at all. Well, we don't know how long it's been that these guys have been on their own when this happens, either. Like, they're, Right, that's it, very true. It could, be, it could have been a while. Because remember, um, you know, Hayward is saying that he has tracked these guys through all different time periods, and in the first season, we had only seen a couple. So these guys could have been together for a while. At this point, so at the the loss of Leonard could have been something he's already dealt with at this point. That's which very true. Is which what I think would make it more influential when Leonard reappears. So I guess we can get to those two big moments. Let's I guess start with Damien Dark. Uh, you want to start with that one because actually that's the final moment of the episode. Well, I think the the other one is the bigger moment. Though, okay, because we knew what was coming with Damien Dark at least. Yes, uh, as as far as things that we have reported, and we knew the other big moment too. But actually seeing it, I think was the big oh shit moment. That's yeah. wonderful. Yeah. Um, but obviously we see as Dark kind of talks to the Nazis that he's like, "Well, you guys completely failed me," and obviously uh, in that moment they all get ready to turn their guns on Damien Dark, and very quickly we see that beautiful red blur tear across the screen as all of the Nazis' necks get snapped, and we see Eobard Thawne 
or Thwain, whatever you want to refer to him. I think it's Thawn. Yes, Thawn. Yes, Sorry. I say Again, Thawne. my brain, my brain is still not <laughs> completely rebooted yet from this weekend. Come on, man. But, We've uh, only done a full season of, that, of Flash. I know, I know, I know. We talk about him all the time. But yes. Ebar comes to a stop and looks at him, and they're kind of like, well, all right, partner, what's next? Yes. <laughs> Pretty much. So I mentioned we've introduced introduced to one member of the Legion of Doom, where in all actuality, by the end of this episode, we have gotten two. Yes, yeah. and I am so excited to see Matt Leshner already on the show. They're not wasting any time getting these characters going, and I'm really, really, really excited when the next two come into play. And I'm hoping it doesn't take many episodes for that to happen. Yeah, I'm, I'm hoping so, too, especially considering we don't really have many episodes of, of Legends. Yeah, so. So, but we do know as far as Flash is concerned that Captain Cold is in episode four, and the synopsis of that is coming off the real reveal that he is still alive. My guess, more than likely, by episode two's end, Captain Cold will be involved. That would be awesome. Because that means timing-wise, that goes into the following week for Flash. So uh, my guess is before episode two is done, we will at least have one more member into the mix. Okay, that's a good theory. Now, as far as Eobard is concerned, do we think this is a separate incident? Or do we think this is coming right off of when he helped Barry um, by uh, getting by trying to repair Flashpoint? Uh, I think this is coming right off of that moment. Okay. As in, like, he left there to go team up with somebody else. I think so. I mean, I'm sure this is a little bit of time after the fact, but, again, he can mess around with time as much as he wants, so it can, it doesn't really matter, I guess. So, yeah, yeah, agreed. Uh, which leads us into the, f- well, not the final moment, but the second final moment, but as Rabin mentioned, the larger of the moment. Uh, where we are introduced to a group of people aptly named the Justice Society of America. Mm-hmm. Which just... is being led by Commander Steele, who, if you are unsure of who Dr. Nate Haywood is, that is the grandson of Commander Steele and will later become Citizen Steele. Who, uh, Nate Haywood will? Yes, Nate Haywood becomes Citizen Steele. And his grandfather is Commander Steel that we see on top of that tank that says we are the Justice Society of America. Well, I knew Commander Steel was, but I didn't know that he became somebody yes. as well. Yeah, Nate becomes, you know, is the one that's kind of living up to his grandfather's reputation. When we were going back a couple months ago and reading about who was who, that is exactly who that is. Ah, But yeah, we're also introduced to uh, Dr. Midnight, Obsidian, Stargirl. Uh, and we also found out, too, that... This we're getting a new Vixen. It's a different actress that's playing it from Arrow, but that's because this is actually Vixen's grandmother, right? Um, so uh, uh, we can still the other Vixen, the other actress could still potentially appear in any of these shows as Vixen yet again. That's very true. I think they said, unfortunately, the the timing of filming for the show did not measure up, which is why they made this decision. So Megalon E.K. was not going to be able to appear at all on this season unless you could maybe see her in the second half of Arrow. But we do know by the time that this show does wrap up is around the midseason break point for the other shows. So because we are only looking at 12 episodes. So that has a tendency to kind of measure up exactly time wise with all that. So, yeah, but it makes me wonder, though, where's our man? That's a good question, because we do know he's part of the Justice Society. So uh, my guess is we will see him in episode two. Okay. Yeah. So I, I thought that was a great wrap up to this episode too, was seeing the Justice Society and then seeing 
uh, Eobard Thawne teaming up with Damian Dark. So, I mean, we got not only the Justice Society of America, but the beginnings of the Legion of Doom, which is a great opposite of, of the other. Yeah. So, all in all, man, I, quick... Awesome premiere. <laughs> awesome premiere, not just for that, but I think all four of these shows, um, you know, Arrow, Flash, Supergirl, and Legends, they all have phenomenal premieres. They, yeah, they, they really all do. started really, really strong. But out of all four of them, and I don't want to exclude, exclude Gotham because we can include Gotham into this too. Out of all four, five of these shows, which one do you think had the strongest premiere? I actually kind of... Right now, I'm really torn between Supergirl, uh, Supergirl or Legends because I, as much as I adore all the other shows, um, they had me the most giddy and excited, I think, because Flash was a massive tonal shift from what we know of Flash. Um, and it's it was a lot to deal with and get used to. It had the most uh, oh shit moments, I think, is the best way to put it. But, you know, that classic fun-loving Flash is not there yet, but I don't think we're going to see that for a few episodes. It's a great show, but is what makes me is a, a super excited and happy. Supergirl and Legends have that void filled very wonderfully right now. I still adore Flash and everything it's doing. I love where they're going, um, and I we do know it's not going to be as dark of a season as they said last season was, but we still have to get through that very dark beginning for that show. Yeah. Uh, I'm I'm in agreement too. Like I, I again I like you. I still adore Flash, and I'm a fan of where Arrow is going this season. And Gotham is, is still keeping me entertained. Uh, but Supergirl, man, it's it's got to be hands down my favorite premiere out of all five of these shows. Yeah. Uh, well, because we're getting really really close to the two hour mark, and I really need some time to rest. Let's dive over to the news real we're, quick. Hit we're only at an hour and a half. We got time. Uh, no, I want to wrap things up too. Yeah, it's nine o'clock. I, I am I'm exhausted, and I still have work in the morning. So, Same, me too. As you do. <laughs> we usually do this in the mornings on Sunday, not this late. Yes, um, exactly. All right. So, are you ready to dive into the news? Sure. Let's dive into okay. the news. There's not a lot here, thankfully. So, we'll just kick through this super fast. But uh, we do know that there is a new international trailer out there for Wonder Woman that does have some new footage. So, I definitely recommend getting out there and checking that out. Uh, I promise probably by the time you guys are hearing this uh, on at least midway through the day on Monday, I'll make sure to get that linked over on the Facebook page. Uh, I have not even had the opportunity yet to check this out. But if we dive over really quickly into the realm of the shows, actually, you know, before we do that, there is one other a bit of movie news, which is we did get our first look at Amber Heard as Mara, which was amazing to look at. Her costume looks phenomenal. It does. It really does. And, uh, it's making me more and more excited for the Aquaman flick, and maybe we'll even get a glimpse of her in Justice League. Who knows yet? Well, I but, think uh, that's where that image came from. I think the image think is from so. Justice League. I think so. So, lots to be excited about for there. But really quick, we're just going to dive right over to the TV universe because there's only four quick stories to look at. The first being a bit of casting news for Arrow. Uh, we did find out that Will uh, Traval uh, is going to be joining the uh, the show as Christopher Chance, aka the Human Target. Well, I Which thought we, we will... I thought we knew that already. No, I we did we not. Knew, we because I've known for a while Human Target was coming in. Uh, yes, but I, this is the first bit that we've heard as far as casting. And oh, when. okay, okay. Uh, we knew Human Target was coming, but you know Christopher Chance, aka Human Target, will indeed be played by Will Travol, which a couple people will remember as the uh, one of the villains from Jessica Jones. Uh, so he will be appearing in episode five. And uh, really quick, diving over to Supergirl. We do know officially now that Miss Martian will come into the show by episode number four. 
So a lot to be excited about in the upcoming weeks. Uh, we also know as far as Supergirl is concerned, Mikad Brooks, a.k.a. James Olsen, is going to be suiting up as the Guardian, Don't which like I this. know <laughs> you and me are both not too happy about. Don't because we like already this. had James Harper appear, played by Warehouse 13 alum. Uh, oh, my God. Uh, Eddie McClintock. Sorry, my brain just shut down again. It's going to keep doing that. <laughs> so hence the reason to wrap this up. Um, so, yeah, kind of disappointed by, by this news that he's going to be playing the Guardian. Um, not because we dislike him, but I don't like the idea that they're tying him into that character and making him play a vigilante. Um, I think that's very odd, but we do know that Wynn will indeed help be helping him do this. And Supergirl's opinion on vigilantes is not the highest. So, obviously, it looks like we're going to get a lot of butting heads between the two of them once that does indeed come out. But we do know Wynn's, uh, Wynn and James are doing this in secret. I also don't like the suit. Yeah, no. If you're gonna do, if you're gonna do that character, do the blue and gold. Yeah. Don't be afraid of that. It yeah, looks don't, fine. Don't make him put. Don't put it all completely gray. You got it. Uh, yeah. Um. This is the first bit of news out of Supergirl that I'm really not too crazy about. It was gray and blue, and I don't know why, but it made me think of Frozone from The Incredibles. The way yeah. the suit looks like. <laughs> I didn't even put that together, but it does. It looks like Frozone. Uh, yeah, I, I'm not too happy with the way that that is looking. So hopefully, uh, maybe they at least do a suit upgrade at some point. But I hope this is not a plot line that goes on for too too long. But maybe you never know. Maybe they do a decent job. With maybe it. this is maybe this is just something he's creating the character, and then eventually, uh, you know, um, Eddie McClintock takes it over. Yeah, either that or maybe that we find out that McClintock was that character already. One of the two, but at least address James Harper was the character. First. Yes. So yeah. Uh, but the last big thing that we have to look at here is uh, we did find out we're going to be seeing uh, a big push with the Caitlin uh, Caitlin Snow transformation into Killer Frost. Sounds like it will be taking place in episode five probably culminating in episode seven, which is indeed uh, titled Killer Frost, which is the one that we reported that Kevin Smith was doing. But it sounds like the big push and maybe the catalyst of her maybe going slightly evil will happen in episode five. Uh, on the Kevin Smith note, too, real quick, I know there was a quick story on comicbook.com that uh, he has come out and said that his episode of Supergirl is the biggest thing he has ever directed. Well, I'm excited to see where they're going to go. Yes, I am too. So let's uh, kick over into our recommendations. And I know, I don't think you had one this week, correct? I don't, so I'm just going to share yours. Okay. <laughs> so one of the things that did come out was a kind of reboot of The Lost Boys. This is coming out of the Vertigo line from DC, which is a definite fun re uh, read that's been written by Tim Seeley. Definitely check that out. Um, it it's a very nice different take, but all the classic characters in there, like the Frog Brothers, Michael and Sam, Star, and uh, of course the Grandfather, because... You know, with the Lost Boys, you need to have the grandfather there. That's, yes. Uh, the worst thing about living in Santa Carla, all the goddamn vampires. <laughs> <laughs> now I want to watch that movie again. I know. Just and aside from, that, aside from that, I have to recommend yet again. I know I brought it up in the past. Make sure if you haven't checked it out yet, All-Star Super, uh, all, not Superman, sorry, All-Star Batman, written by Scott Snyder and drawn by uh, John Romita Jr., which uh, just had its third uh, issue out this past week, and it's continuing to be fantastic. So, 
And that's it for me. All right, cool. So let's knock out some cheap plugs, and then we can get out of here and uh, go to bed. Please. Go to bed I and go to bed. let all of our <laughs> listeners' ears rest until next week as well. Uh, but from the Next Level Podcast Network, in which this podcast is a part of, and the showcast on there as well, which is where we do all of our celebrity interviews, uh, we can be found nextlevelradioonline.com as well as on Twitter at NXT Level Radio. And this is our first time mentioning it at all podcasts, which we usually mention it a couple times. But, of course, we encourage you, if you do not already, to follow us and share us on Facebook, facebook.com slash DC Primetime. Correct. And you can always find me at Caffeine Crew and pretty soon Next Level Radio, as I've mentioned in the last couple episodes. Uh, I have all the files now for Ben. I just have to hand them to him physically. <laughs> and then uh, uh, our show that uh, Ben appears on pretty frequently, which is the Caffeine Crew cast of pods, will be found over there probably at the very end of October. Um, and that'll have our Halloween episode on there, which we'll probably be recording in the next week or two. But uh, definitely, definitely check that out. It's a lot of fun. It's a roundtable. So the audio quality is a little bit different, kind of similar to what you heard in last week's episode for this show. Um, But it's about five or six of us sitting around and geeking out about all kinds of things between either current pop culture or just kind of looking back at the past and talking about some of our favorite things. And eating jelly beans. And eating jelly beans occasionally. (laughs) And uh, as always, a big special thanks to george shaw at george shaw music we thank him each and every week and uh yeah keep an eye on him too because i think he's getting ready to make some more headway on his second star wars parody musical that he's doing so cool super fun uh keep an eye on the website because the panel that i moderated with michael rooker a couple weeks back will hopefully be up sometime this week i'm still just waiting for the finalization of the audio video uh and i'll post that even though it's not a dc thing uh i just had a great time moderating and it looks like there's a good chance i'm actually going to be in atlanta next month at heroes and villains which is a lot of the dc characters uh moderating more panels so hopefully i'll actually be on stage with some of these actors that we watch every week and we talk about awesome and uh, uh, i i gotta say thanks as well to uh, not only to ben but a couple of the listeners who reached out this past week and wished me a happy birthday i really appreciate that that was a it was a nice surprise yes so. i i was very glad that people actually uh listened to me and wished you a happy birthday <laughs> well, like I said, I, I didn't even see that you posted that because my week has been just pure chaos. So when that happened, I'm like, how did people find out my birthday? I'm like, <laughs> oh, I got to lock that privacy setting down even more so. <laughs> uh, but next week, of course, we will be bringing you breakdowns of all five shows yet again. Hopefully we'll, uh, we'll get a better system where we're not taking too much more of your time as we are now. But, you know, with these premieres and such, they're, they're so full of stuff that it, we couldn't expect to go any any less than what we already have uh, because we'd miss so much Uh, but until next week we will see you guys around the bend guys take care peace